This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. At this time, I'm going to have Camden come forward and light our Advent candles as we in this season meditate on the hope that we have, the peace that we share. Go ahead and light the third one for joy. And now a reading from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Heavenly Father, today, today we come to you thankful, grateful joyful and at the same time conflicted anxious tired God I pray that you'll help us today God that you won't just give us what we want but that you'll give us what we need Speak, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, one of the, and I'm going to make sure I get this right, one of the weirdest things about me, and I know there's a list. One of the weirdest things about me is that in addition to being a pastor, in addition to being a preacher, I am also a professional game designer. I, I make money making board games and publishing board games. All right? Y'all may not know that, but I, I am one-third owner of Motor City Gameworks, and we publish board games. All right? So I'm always kind of thinking about new game ideas. And usually I work in the tabletop space, but the other day I was struck with a golden idea. Gold, I tell you. Golden idea for a television game show, and I call it The Choice. All right, this is great. This is great television. You ready? Here's how it works. It's a game show, in, and, it's, and, it's, and it's technically reality because we're going to randomly choose a family in America with a toddler. All right, all I need is for them to have a toddler. 
And, and I don't mean like an eight-year-old, I mean like a toddler. All right, that's critical to this show. And the toddler is going to be put in a room by themselves. And there will be three things that they can choose from. One of those is a large cookie with sprinkles, brightly colored. All right? A second thing that they can choose from is this bucket of toys that are really brightly colored. And I'm going to be honest, they are dollar store toys. We're spending about $9 in tax to get this bucket of toys. There's a cookie with all kinds of colored frosting and sprinkles. There is dollar store bucket of toys. And then there is this boring old $1 million check. And we're going to give the toddler the choice of what they want. And in the bottom of the screen, their parents in a soundproof room watching their child make the choice, screaming for them, please just take the boring looking check. But we know how this is going. I would watch it every week. Do you understand I would watch that show every week? I wouldn't miss an episode of that. Here's the point. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Our problem is not that we want so much. Our problem is that we're satisfied with so little. Okay, that, that we, when it comes to our faith, we're like a toddler who, who is excited about brightly colored junk, not realizing the value of the thing we didn't choose. We're especially good at confusing our wants and needs. If you're like me, you're an expert at it. Now, I, here's the deal. In my head, I know that I am supposed to want... I, I know what I need. I need non-material, life-giving, joy-inducing, soul-filling things in my life. And most of that comes without a price tag. I know that in my head. But all too often, whether because of cynicism or distraction, or ignorance. I often just satisfy myself on what is more easily commodified. That is, more stuff. We especially do this around Christmas. Confuse wants and needs. If you remember from last week, when we talked about God with us at Christmas is not simply about a birth. It's a story about resurrection of the whole world. God is telling a story of the greatest rescue mission of all time. And I have my attention on a new PlayStation. Because that'd be nice. But amen. I got an amen already. <clears throat> I let myself go there. And I miss out on the so much more that God has for me. Because I'm satisfied with so little. I think I know why. 
in Mark chapter 2, it reads like this. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What if the biggest obstacle keeping me from growing as a disciple and experiencing the life that Christ wants me to experience? What if the biggest obstacle is that I don't like to think of myself as desperate? So there's this old parable about um, a meeting that takes place in hell where Satan has gathered together some advisors of his to tell him how to steal more souls. They're saying, you know, souls are, we're not, we're not getting as many as we used to. Our numbers should be up. What can we do to increase the, the, the rate at which we're stealing souls? And, and the first advisor comes up to him and he says, I got a plan. I, I, what you need to do is you need to tell them there's no heaven. Okay, maybe that'll work. Second advisor steps up. No, 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 no. Tell them there's no hell. And the third advisor steps up and he says, those are both great ideas, but let me tell you what. Tell them there's no hurry. I look at these, I look at these followers. These people who go with Jesus have... Think about when he called his first disciples. They were at work. They were busy. They were working with their dad. He goes out and he says, follow me. They drop everything they have and follow him. You ever wondered why they were so willing to drop everything? Oh, maybe it wasn't worth very much. Maybe it was their whole life. And it wasn't like he was offering riches. They follow him immediately because they realize that he has what they need. They thought they needed what their job could provide. It turns out they knew once they saw him what they really needed. So they admitted, I need him. They are desperate. Now here's the deal. They leave everything they have because they're desperate. I won't even leave my preferences behind during worship. And you expect me to leave my livelihood? My means for my provision? You expect me to leave my capability? You expect me to leave my comfort? I won't sacrifice my pride, let alone my life. I don't want to be desperate. But the longer I live in faith, the more the words of the late Mike Iaconelli ring true for me. Here's what he said. My life is a mess. After years 
of trying to follow Jesus, I keep losing him in the crowded busyness of my life. I know Jesus is there somewhere, but it's difficult to make him out in the haze of everyday life. And for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a godly person. Yet when I look at the yesterdays of my life, what I see mostly is a broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failure. I've had temporary successes and isolated moments of closeness to God, but I long for the continuing presence of Jesus. Most of the moments in my life seem hopelessly tangled in a web of obligations and distractions. I want to be a good person. I don't want to fail. I want to learn from my mistakes, rid myself of distractions, and run into the arms of Jesus. Most of the time, however, I feel like I'm running away from Jesus and into the arms of my own clutteredness. I want desperately to know God better. I want to be consistent. And right now, the only consistency in my life is my inconsistency. Who I want to be and who I am are not very close together. I'm not doing well at the living a consistent life thing. I don't know about you, but yeah, that candid confession is, I think, something a lot of us can relate to. He goes on to say that he... When he was younger, he believed that his inconsistency was due to his youth. Maybe I'm young, I just don't know enough, I'm a little bit swayed by my passions more, and so, and so maybe age will teach me everything I need to know to improve. He says, but then I got older. And I found that age held few secrets on the matter. He describes his following of Jesus more as a meandering. <laughs> Sounds familiar. We're a mess. And our lives are messy. And we come here and we sort of act like they're not. Or we pay lip service to the fact that, sure, we're all messy, but, but we hope that no one kind of shares a little too much of their mess. Or if they do, they do it in a way that's kind of more clean, more antiseptic. Get in a safe space with a few people, and then you can be messy. But don't, don't just come in here with your messy life and be messy in front of everyone. I mean, we all got messes. Clean it up a little bit. It's church, for crying out loud. Satan has such a powerful lever there, doesn't he? Look at your life. This isn't the life of a spiritual person. How many times I've heard those words. And we allow ourselves to be deceived. We allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that spirituality is more about competency than it is about intimacy. Now that, that right there was the sermon, Clint. Did you catch it? I mean, I saw, I saw you nod, but I'm not sure if everyone got it, so I'm going to say it again, because that was the sermon. We get tricked by the devil into thinking that spirituality is more about competency than it is about intimacy. We end up thinking it's more about perfection than it is about connection. 
Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God's being present in the mess of our unfixedness. You ready for some gospel? Here is good news. God is not nearly as surprised by my messiness as I am. And yet I'm still loved and chosen. Jesus wants the real me, mess and all, and Christmas proves it. Eugene Peterson says it this way, he says, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us. He enters into our trouble and saves us. Merry Christmas. God with us is not just good Christmas card fodder. It's a truth that revolutionizes everything. It reprioritizes our wants from our needs. This is how it is with Jesus. This is how it is during Advent. I want to read you the words of of Isaac Villegas. He says, as a church, we're waiting on something that we don't know how to receive, a guest for whom we don't know how to prepare. A Savior who arrives in the most unexpected place. The womb of a young, poor, unprepared, and terrified girl. That's the way God works. And Jesus comes anyway. Despite our bumbling about or our lack of preparations, Jesus comes anyway. And that's called grace. Jesus comes even if we don't think we're ready. Jesus comes anyway, even if we don't think it makes any sense, even if we doubt. Jesus comes anyway, even if we're terrified. Even if we can't muster up the courage to believe. God doesn't wait until we think we're ready. Because God knows that we already have all we need. That's what grace means. God has already given us all that we need to welcome God's new life. So God announces it. And God waits with us. Think about that. We are here waiting in the mess of this life. And we often lose sight of this truth that God waits with us in this mess. God chooses a plan of saving all of creation that begins with nine months of gestation in the womb of a frightened girl in an age without medical expertise. God waits In one of the riskiest of places. But no matter how it felt when the angel left, I guarantee you, Mary did not feel like she had been abandoned by God because God was inside her. God was with her. I wonder if Mary figured all this out while she waited. I wonder if somehow the good news that, that she carried broke through all of her fear and all of her doubt and all of her anxiety. And she realized that what she needed was more than something to distract her for a while and take her mind off things. Instead, in Christ, I think she found a new heart and a new mind, and I think she found joy. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though, for, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, 
of greater worth than gold, that which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Something like that is the kind of thing that might make her sing, my soul magnifies the Lord and declare he has been mindful of his servant. He has done great things for me. That in her song, she looks back across history and says all the promises God made, all the things God has been doing to keep those are now right here. And the, the amazing part in her mind is that somehow it's happening in her. Hey, guess what? And I know this has been sneaky, okay? This has been sneaky, Levi. Because what's been happening was happening in her. All the, all the promises and all that, it's happened. All this stuff is going on inside her. Guess what, Christian? You should probably feel the same way. You see, if you read Mary's song closely, the way that, the way that Bert read it to us, is you find out that, that she talks about Abraham. Abraham, the one who was called by God, follow me. And Abraham said, where do you want me to go? And he said, I'll show you later. I just need you to pack up and go right now. The Bible says that he went knowing whither where he went. That's the King James Version. That was just for Christmas. <laughs> he didn't know where he was going and he went. Mary gets called and says, I want you to follow me. I want you to, I want you to bring my child into the world. And she says, how's it going to happen? But see, her questioning isn't closing her spirit. Her question is opening her spirit, saying, God, you do what you're going to do. I'll follow, even though I have no idea where this is going. So you, believer, you have a lot in common with her. God is saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. And we say, um, I don't, where are we going? And God says, I'll tell you later when we're getting there. You willing to come with me? And in the release of that control that I have to have, the knowledge I have to have, in the release of saying I need to be competent enough to do this, in my mess, I sit here and realize I'm loved and I'm chosen and that God wants me to be with him regardless and it lets me breathe. And I breathe out my anxiety and I breathe in grace and that grace wells up in me like joy. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Francis Chan tells a story about how his daughter who was in high school came home after getting an F on a really big test. And this was unacceptable in their house. It's unacceptable in mine, Right? Daughter came home with a big F and, and she showed him the grade and she looked at him through tears knowing that he was about to blow up and ground her for two years. Sound familiar? Instead, he surprised her. And when, when she asked him, Dad, what are you going to do? Chen says he looked at her and he said, well, 
I'm going to take you to dinner. And then for some ice cream. And we're going to spend some time together. Because I need you to know that sometimes I have failed God. And God has given me mercy and grace and shown me love in spite of that. She was stunned. And this is only going to happen once. (laughs) He quickly added, the next day, the daughter went and told all of her friends how things had played out. And how to her, the lesson that he taught her was actually harder for her to swallow than, than him just being mad. And, and how flabbergasted she was that he had responded that way and how amazing her father was. And all of her friends, she said, Dad, they began to respond and they said, I wish I had your dad. Man, I wish my family, I wish I had a family like yours. I wish I was in your family. Church, I want the world to wish that they have the father we have. I want them to wish they had a family like we have. But they never will if we don't joyfully tell the world about the God who is with us. Well, we had a few less amens on that last part. Did you notice that, Dan? I felt, I felt like we were going, and then all of a sudden we weren't going anymore. I want the world to know about our Father. I want the world to know about His grace and His mercy. I want them to know about our church and how wonderful His family is. But they won't if we don't joyfully begin to spread the word. Amen. There we are. I mean, here's the question. Do we have the gospel or not? We do? Excellent. Do we believe it? Even better. Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up. I got a little more to go, but I I want y'all ready. You see, here's the deal. Jesus has come and lived and died and been buried and been raised. And it's made all the difference. So that whether I have a car or not, a job or not, a spouse or not, a child or not, money or not, fame or not, I can bless the Lord and rejoice at all times because this world cannot take from me what I have been given by my God. Because he was born and a light dawned in the darkness. He was born and the prophet's words were fulfilled. He was born and the word became flesh. He was born and God made a dwelling in our midst. He was born and the long wait was ended. He was born and the death of death began. Because he lived and lame rose to walk. He lived and the blind began to see. He lived and the deaf began to hear. He lived and the leper was made clean. He lived and the outcast was brought near. He lived and the love of God was made so plain that I couldn't miss it. And he died. And the ground trembled. He died and the sun refused to shine. 
He died and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. He died and the graves in Jerusalem opened up. He died and the centurion couldn't hold his tongue any longer. And he said, surely this man was the son of God. He died and they said, what must, the thief said, what must I do? He died and the powers and principalities were disgraced and shown as, they, as the lie they are. He died and the law fell over into grace. He died and I was forgiven. Not just for what I have done, but for what I will do. He died and he took my place and he ransomed me. Y'all haven't said amen yet. I don't know what better news you're waiting on. Maybe I'll get to it in the resurrection because he was raised and I've been set free from the law of sin and death. Because he was raised, I have eternal life right now. Because he was raised, I can't see the world the same way anymore because life has the final word, because faith has the victory. Because he was raised, I have a hope that whatever the world may try to do to me, no weapon that's fashioned against me will prosper. Because he was raised, I have the hope that one day all will be made new and I will behold the glory of God come in its fullness. Amen. Do you believe it? Yes. Then act like it. Right. Rejoice. Thank you, God. Church, I hope you know this. Our religion, what we believe, is not about how we can escape the mess and get out of this life and somehow get to God. That's the other religions. How do I get to God? That's the other religions. That's not ours. The good news of Christianity is how our God came to us. That in spite of the mess, He came into our messy lives. And here's the good news. He's here to stay. Amen. This is the power of God with us. This is the renewed mind that comes from understanding God is with us. This is the joy we have as God waits with us. Because it's all waiting. We're waiting. Creation is waiting for the redemption of God's people groaning in labor pains because there is a new birth coming. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we are satisfied with so little because you promise us so much. You give us so much. You've given us your son, Jesus, who by his birth and by his life and by his death and by his resurrection has borne witness to what we have, to what we've been given, to what we have been called to. God, you've saved us. You rescued us, but not so that we can run away. God, you're bringing new life. You're bringing new hope. You're bringing new peace. You're bringing new joy right here. 
And God, you are with us. God is with us. God is with us. And we don't deserve it, but you love us anyway. And we don't earn it, but you love us anyway. And we don't have to impress you. You love us anyway. But God, let us accept it. God, you love me. I'm one of your favorites. And it blows me away. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's what you want and there's what you need. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the power of him who called us and is at work within us. He's offered up his son for us. And if you don't know him yet, if you haven't made him your Lord, then I pray that you will. And I pray that as we sing this song and as we praise together in joyful praise, God, I pray if it's on your heart that you're thinking, maybe I want to be with Jesus. Maybe I haven't given my life to him. I haven't been baptized into Christ yet. I want you to do that. I want us to celebrate that together. And I want to invite you to be a part of that today. Maybe you're saying, I need some prayer. You can come now, but in a moment, we're going to have these four corners of prayer. And there's a moment for you to pray with someone. There's a moment for you to find someone and say, I just, I need to celebrate this with someone. My prayer today for you is that you will have joy, joy inexplicable, because you know that God is with you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and praise together. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.